house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. A married man? You're not saying. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> Turns out, I'm a bit of a slut. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast with a proper appreciation for the cinematic achievements of Bart the Bear 2. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy, I am your host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my co-host, entertainment writer Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. Hello, listeners. Hello, everybody. We're getting the marriage back together this week. <laughs> yeah, we're getting the whole family back together. Joseph, Ugh. me, and you. Um, and, uh, and you can, you all can be our children who are not at all enthused about the idea. <laughs> no, not at all. You'll be a crying Zoe Kazan. Uh, uh, okay, as, so if, as if we don't all aspire to be a crying Zoe Kazan in our lives, but you know, I have a scenario I want to actually share with our listeners because, like, I'm crazy and psychotic for preparing for this podcast. Sometimes, okay, so Joseph, I have sent you numerous like photo text messages when I'm doing this. I have taken two because. I'm sure we'll get to some movies that are harder to access. We want, at least right now, maybe every once in a while, we'll have something that is harder to get your hands on. But we want you to be able to watch along at home if you choose to. So we've chosen movies mostly from streaming. However, I have taken to, like, the used DVD sections of, like... Remember when that used to be way more of a thing of, like, used movie stores where you could, like, go and, like... I was going to say, you're kind of bringing it back to me. I'm just sort of just like, oh, remember when, like, you could find something and just be like, oh, my God, this used DVD of something that I don't other don't have any other way of watching. Like, that's oh, yeah, cool. because things are out of print or it's like type of movies we're talking about, like not always get remembered. So it's like they're not always going to stay in like regular availability, even like Netflix discs, which I still use are kind of hard to come by for some of the things we've mentioned talking about. Yeah. Um, so, so you'll just send me a photo of a stack of used DVDs and just be like, look at what I got. <laughs> yeah, I sent you one that if we can conceivably do, uh, starring, uh, I'll say Sigourney Weaver, that... Um, Let's just say, I, for the sake I of argument. I had argument. even fully forgotten about. Um, okay, so why I bring this up, because I was doing this yesterday... I want you to name the three movies that you are guaranteed to see at any used place, or at least the place I was at. They're the three movies that I saw the most copies of. Because, like, if you go to, it was like one of those huge warehousey places, and then they have like sure. a section where they're just a dollar. What do you think are the most common movies? Are you asking what what is the DVD equivalent of the Rembrandt's album, which was the if you ever walked into a used record store or used CD store, like the used f- 
shelves would be packed with the Rembrandts because everybody bought that album when Friends premiered and then everybody sold it back. Because they just want that one song. And wasn't even the like album version different than... Yes! Uh... Yes, it was. All right, so I'm guessing the three that you see most often? Yes. I will say this first one, I bought it because I would love to talk about it at some point. Oh, like, God. It, you couldn't, like, w- turn a corner without seven of them hitting you in the head. Like, fully just, like, falling from the rafters. They had so many copies of it. Like, remember that meme that ran around of the kid doing, like, he filled his parents' house with, like, DVD copies of Click? <laughs> no, and, like, but okay. VHSs of Speed. It was oh like God. that. Like, you could conceivably prank somebody with this many copies of In Good Company. Oh, wow. Sure. Okay. Like, it, it, it was, I probably saw at least a good hundred DVD copies of that movie. The second of which, which is not really for our purposes, and I think I've seen memes of this, was The Grudge. Oh, interesting. Like they had multiple stacks of just The Grudge. Um, and then our third might shock you. It is is it movie... Life of Pi? No, it's the movie we're talking about today. No way! Oh, that's that's a really good intro, then, Chris. I was I just thought you were doing this for fun, but man, well, you and pulled like, it all I around. Bought it, but I'd already watched the movie. So, <laughs> why don't you tell us what that movie is, Joe? So we're going to be talking about the 2009 Nancy Myers Ode to Kitchens. <laughs> um, it's complicated. It's a film that would have probably been a shoe in for Oscar in categories like Best Supporting Backsplash, Best Performance by an Ensemble with Wine. Um, Best Sensible Separates. Oh, that's an excellent one. Most Unrealistic Depiction of Smoking Pot. Um, there's a lot of them. Um, Meryl Streep co-stars with that, weirdly, that year's Oscar hosts that everybody kind of forgets about, Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin, um, along with a cast of a bunch of white, post-teenage, odd people. Um, <laughs> John Krasinski's in this movie. Um, Streep has a gaggle. I don't think there's a, a single person of color in this movie. Oh, no. No, I can't imagine there would be. Um, Streep's gaggle of gal pals, which I despise that term, but there's no better way of describing her little wine circle here. Mary Kay Place, Rita Wilson, uh, Alexandra Wentworth, which feels like the the completion of a Mad Libs about, like, who would play Meryl Streep's gal pals in a movie. I feel like that, that's one of those, it should be a game where, like, people's faces are on sides of dice. And you just roll them <laughs> like Yahtzee. And you're just like, well, we've come up with Mary Kay Place, Rita Wilson, and Alexander Wentworth. And then Blythe Danner picks hers up and goes, I'm going to play. And she rolls. And it's Rhea Perlman, uh, June Squibb, and wait, who the hell else is? I'll see you in my dreams. It's also Mary Kay Place. It's also Mary Kay Place. See, you get the Mary Kay Place double. That's uh, That's worth double points. So... Yes, this is not a movie that we sometimes talk about movies that have been forgotten by, uh, you know, history or whatever. This is not one of those movies. I feel like this is a movie that gets referenced a lot, not just because it's less than a decade old. I feel like this movie touched on a couple nerves. I feel like it helped really define Nancy Myers as a director for better or for worse. Absolutely. I, I would say both. Um, it kind of 
there was something in the way that we think about Meryl Streep that I feel like this movie also kind of touched on. And it's just, it's a memorable movie. It's not a great movie, but I think it's going to be worth talking about. It's also a very interesting year, and this is an interesting movie to talk about in the context of this year, because like you mentioned, Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin are in this movie, and they hosted this year's Oscars. Agreed. Meryl yeah. was also nominated for a different movie this year. Um, I think the big thing, especially about this year and this type of movie, is this is the first year of the 10. Um, yes, And the 10 was right. kind of introduced to be able to include movies like this, and as we well, know, it's not popular. <laughs> Popular movies, which is such a you know fun buzzword now. I feel like the ten was was created to include movies that were more young male friendly than this. But yes. um but I mean, like there was always that asterisk in the conversation that it's like, yeah, but popular romantic comedies could also be included. You know, like animated movies. Animated movies ended up doing. Uh, I mean. They, for a time. We yeah. always come back to the example for like people complaining about science fiction that this is the year District 9 was nominated. And- right. I That's one of my favorite sort of Oscar ironies is that they expanded the 10 with an eye towards, well, we should you know get movies like The Dark Knight in. And then they ended up with weirdo Neil Blomkamp shrimp man movie. Because <laughs> the other like possibility was the star trek movie i'm so glad that didn't get nominated i swear to god i don't even not like that movie but i was so so happy that that didn't get nominated i mean i think that that star trek is a good movie especially for like a franchise type of movie i think sure the best picture lineup has been expanded i think as far as movies that would have gotten close to it i think that would have been a best case scenario if one had been nominated yeah it's sort of similar to how with this best popular movie Oscar that they're thinking about doing that just like all I want is for and I like Infinity War but I don't I do not want Infinity War to get nominated I don't want Deadpool 2 to get nominated I want I it to be I will absolutely put down money right now that Infinity War will not be nominated in that category no. I mean maybe when if, when if the I Oscars should ever that. loved Marvel they've well, never loved Marvel I've said this point multiple times and I'm going to keep stressing it I mean We'll see what happens with whatever their eligibility is. They are going to keep nominating the same kind of movies. Though I will say something like it's complicated. With, it's a popular movie. I, it would have been a popular movie, and I think this would be something closer to like their internal, for lack of a better word, respectability like factor. That it's like they don't. I don't think they are going to respect. Infinity War. They'll respect Black Panther. Yeah. They're not going to respect Infinity War unless it's like a gimme based on whatever their eligibility requirements are. So 2009, let's just play the hypothetical game. 2009, were there a best popular Oscar? However we define it, whether it's, you know, opened on 3,000 screens or more or, you know, whatever, played on 3,000 screens or more at any one time or made over 100 million or something. Um, I imagine Avatar, absolutely. Star Trek, that's where you you would have gotten your Star Trek. Up. Up, I think, is definite. So then what are the other two that it's complicated would be sort of vying for this with? Because it's complicated, makes $112 million domestic. I mean, Inglorious Bastards is that year, and it was incredibly popular. 
the blind side made a lot of money. The blind the blind side made an absolutely a lot of money. So here's an interesting case, and like it's probably a backdoor endorsement for like a popular film category. Think about it in this way: if that had, if this category had existed at this time, would something like the blind side have gotten those best picture votes because it's like they're already honoring the film in a best popular film category. Well, and I would say because I do think there's cases where maybe something that is widely beloved, at least by the public that makes its way into the best picture race. Yeah. There might be some type of movies that it does prevent them from being in best picture. Well, 2009 is one of those interesting years where if of the 10 movies that were nominated for best picture, five of them made a hundred million dollars or more. So you could have conceivably had a best picture cat or a best popular film category that was completely made up of best picture nominees with Avatar up, uh, you mentioned Inglorious Bastards, The Blind Side, and District Nine. So like even then it's complicated might have had a tough time cracking that, but I feel like they would have at least been in that discussion yeah. more than they were I think once we got past the Golden Globes, and we will mention later on the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards, don't worry, that discussion is on its way. But before we get there, Chris, I have tasked you with coming up with a 60-second plot description for anybody who maybe doesn't remember the ins and outs of this movie. I feel like this is one of those movies you could sum up in a sentence. It's yeah. very, very high concept, you know, even for a romantic comedy, but I'm going to give you 60, sort of luxuriate. You, you know, you're in the carpool lane, so... we got, got a big ensemble in this movie. I can get some other stuff in there, hopefully. Yeah, all right. I, I believe in Talk about the, you. like, color of this movie, more oh. so than the plot of it. Like, what's the texture of this what's film? What's the what emotional... Is, what is the fabric of this film? Mise-en-scene. Yes, all right, all right. Go for it. Oh, wait, I need to time you. Sorry. All right, one minute... 60 seconds, in other words, uh, starting now. Okay, it's complicated. Charles Meryl Streep as Jane Adler, a successful baker plagued with the scarlet letter of divorce and cursed with a kitchen that is not the one she has always wanted. Um, while attending her son's college graduation, Jane drunkenly begins an affair with her ex-husband Jake, played by Alec Baldwin. Uh, Jake has remarried with his much young with the much younger woman that he had an affair on Jane with. Um, and there's a child involved that's not his birth son, and they're still raising him. Um, so they have an affair, and Jake begins to fall in love with Jane again, despite the fact that she has an insufficient kitchen. Um, he still finds all of the wonderful things about her, and he's, like, you know, patting his belly and, like... It's a very sexual awakening for Alec Baldwin. Ten seconds. Uh, meanwhile, Jane has a new relationship with an architect, a nebbish play called Adam, played by Steve Martin. So is this a sexual revenge game for Jane, or is it a new awakening for what was once lost? And that's 60 seconds. Well done. Um, yeah. I feel like you did the... I think your division of time between the Alec Baldwin stuff and the Steve Martin stuff is about right. Because... Right. I would venture to say, I don't think this is a terrible movie. I think this is a mediocre movie. And I feel like what's good is the Meryl Streep, Alec Baldwin stuff. And what's bad is kind of everything else, including and especially the Steve Martin character who never really makes an impression, I don't think, and who never presents himself as 
an interesting romantic rival. And so, spoiler, when she ends up with him at the end, or at least ends up with him as a possibility. Yeah. It's like, it's a very kind of like, like deflating. You don't want her to end up with Alec Baldwin because that's wrong. And the whole emotional journey of the movie is her sort of coming out on the other side of that and being like, you know, I got to see what it would be like. And now I've decided that I don't need that. But I don't know. Nothing about the Steve Martin character is interesting to me. And I feel like his performance, I, reading up on the movie, he needed to film all of his scenes for this movie very in a very short time span and then leave to go on one of his like banjo playing tours or whatever and you can sort of see that i mean he's worked with nancy myers before he was in the uh, parent trap or not parent trap uh, father of the bride movies and i don't know like it's he should have done a better job and i would have probably i wanted more out of him and he's probably a little miscast too because uh, steve martin when he's playing these kind of nondescript guys is very sweet and like we like steve martin so we'll go with it a little bit but you're right in that there's not a whole lot of there there like you almost want him to break out his banjo so that he has some like discernible trait um God, can you imagine? The only thing that could make this movie wider is if Steve Martin played a banjo. <laughs> um, True and fair. But to the Alec Baldwin stuff, like it's ex- one of the more interesting things is seeing her have like a sexual reawakening. Um, to the point, like I just watched Gloria this morning, and I'm like, I always just want to watch a middle-aged woman like rediscover herself sexually. It's always like a like, especially in great moments of actressing, like Meryl Streep in this movie, and Paulina Garcia in that movie. That it's just like it's just always interesting to see that kind of romantic story that I don't think gets to be seen quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm on a. No, I think you're. I think you're on the right track for sure. I think that's what's interesting about this movie, and I think Meryl plays it pretty well. And I think Baldwin sells his character to me in a way that not everybody else in the movie, maybe even better than Meryl, sells her character. I feel like I get. I get what he's what is motivating him. I get what is what his fears are and what his. You know, uh, desires sounds weird in this context, but like, you know, it sounds like I also think like Alec Baldwin's one of those people that like a lot of people like hiss when they hear his name because he's a little insufferable and he's playing to the credit of the performance. He is playing a really insufferable guy. Like I just I could not stand this character both of the times that I've watched it. But he is so charming and so funny and so sweet that it does almost sell the whole movie. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think Baldwin and Streep... So I feel like if we're asking ourselves why did It's Complicated have Oscar buzz to begin with, I feel like this conversation starts with Streep and probably a little bit of Nancy Myers. But I feel like obviously any movie with Meryl Streep in it is going to have some sort of Oscar buzz because just play the odds. <laughs> like, right. it's, you know, at least, she's at the very such least an Oscar for her. favorite. Yeah, that, well, that's the thing, is that even if the rest of your movie is One True Thing or Music of the Heart or 
I mean, to a lesser extent, August Osage County, even though, like, you know, she had Julia Roberts nominated with her that year. Um, the rest of your movie can be a disappointment, and still Meryl Streep can endure. And we've seen that happen time and again. So even though... It's interesting because this movie opened in December, and over the summer she had been in Julie and Julia with Nora Ephron, which obviously we all know that's the movie that she ended up getting the Oscar nomination for. And so it's interesting that there would have still been Oscar attention for It's Complicated, that Julie and Julia wouldn't have like choked that off at the pass. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um but and it's not like it's complicated, like made a case for itself via quality. But still, the fact that it was Meryl in this Nancy Myers movie, Nancy Myers, who had directed Diane Keaton to an Oscar nomination only four years before, or sorry, six years before, um, for Something's Gotta Give, that even like that reputation, that sort of template was there strongly enough that we thought, okay, well, this is still a possibility to the point where... She got Golden Globe nominated for both in the same category in uh, Best Performance by an Actress, Musical, or Comedy, which, much as the Golden Globes love to double dip, that even still was surprising. At the time, you think? I don't remember it as surprising. Well, no, not surprising in the specific, but the idea that the Golden Globes would nominate an actress twice in the same category is, that's maybe even going, going a little far for the Golden Globes. Well, I mean, this was a bigger hit. I mean, this made more money than Julie and Julia did. It got nowhere near as good of reviews as it did. Um, which I'm actually going to look it up because I think they were both even nominated for Best Picture by the Globes in musical I comedy. Think, I think that's I think that's right. But yeah, go go look that up. But also, um, I mean, Meryl was. This is when she was hitting another stride of being a box office draw again. Because she had two hit movies in the same year, in the same genre. Yes, yeah. they were both nominated for musical or comedy at the Globes. Well, Along in the year with nine, five hundred days of summer, and the winner, The Hangover. It's like one God, of the what crappiest a shameful, lineups ever. Yeah. God, that is so true. What a shameful, shameful year for the Golden Globes. And I will. Again, I stick up for the Golden Globes more than most. But also, this is coming off of Meryl getting double nominated at the Globes the year before that for um, the more disparate, I would say, spread of Doubt and Mamma Mia. And But you're right about Meryl all of a sudden now is big box office. And, and I mean, who, she who was... better to celebrate that than the Globes? She was the major threat to Sandra Bullock that year as well. Oh, absolutely. And, Julia. and a lot of it was because we this we take for her for granted again, kind of. Like, there's cycles of Meryl. And at this point, we were really, really excited about her again. And yes. There was a lot Devil of Wears Prada really kicked it back up, like, I feel like. Devil Wears Prada kicked it back up. And then, even though people weren't in love with Doubt, I feel like, the Doubt Mamma Mia doubled in 08, followed by this in 09. I think that all of that together, more than anything, is why she ended up winning for The Iron Lady in 2011. Oh, totally. Because, like, the steam from those movies, in addition to the, like, procedures of Harvey Weinstein, because The Iron Lady was a Weinstein co-movie. Yeah. It, um, I think 
uh, the like five years or so before that movie have more to do with her Oscar win than the, her actual performance. No, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, find somebody who is passionate about the actual performance in The Iron Lady is how you know <laughs> that uh, that, that yeah. is true. Because I, I think you'll have a hard time finding that. Um, to the Nancy Myers point of why this yeah. movie had Oscar buzz, too, I think it owes a lot. A lot of the Oscar buzz owed a lot to Something's Gotta Give because this movie was packaged very, very similarly to that movie. To the point where from the director of Something's Gotta Give is so prominent on the poster that Something's Gotta Give sort of looks like, if you glance at it very quickly, it looks like the tagline to the movie is Something's Gotta Give, which <laughs> it could be. So, yeah, I think Nancy Myers' career is very interesting because she starts off, I mean, she really does, like, come up through the business. She was a production assistant on The Price is Right and sort of got into writing as an assistant and a story editor. And then she uh, hooks up with Charles Shire, who she eventually marries, um, who was also sort of working a similar, like, low-level writer track. And they together wrote the script for Private Benjamin, which gets an Oscar nomination, gets an Oscar nomination for Goldie Hawn, and sort of puts them on the map. And they make a bunch of movies together. They make Irreconcilable Differences, that movie with Shelley Long, and remind me, is it Ryan O'Neill? Who plays her husband in that? They're the parents of Drew Barrymore, and Drew Barrymore, like, files for separation from her parents. It's during I the genuinely late... can't remember. I do remember that movie, but only in the context of Drew Barrymore, especially right. in her E! True Hollywood story. Right. Um, so they make, uh, they write Baby Boom in 87, which feels fairly autobiographical in terms of, like, where Nancy's life is at that point. Father of the Bride, they do the remake of Father of the Bride in 91, which is a big old success. And then sequel to that in 1995, which is, I think, so disappointing. I feel like I like, I find Father of the Bride so charming and Father of the Bride Part 2 so much less charming. And yet Father of the Bride Part 2 is the one that's always on television, which sort of annoys me. Um, And then they do the remake of The Parent Trap in 98, and then they get divorced in 1999. And there's nothing that that I've heard that says that It's Complicated is in any way, like, autobiographical to the point of what happens in the story. But, like, you can see where... I feel like this is a movie that I watch it and I'm like, I think Nancy's working out some stuff (laughs) because the whole movie plays out as this kind of older woman's fantasy, right? Where she had this marriage, it ended in adultery and it led this woman to really blossom. She became a successful, uh, chef i guess she's owned, she owns a bakery yes thank you that's the word i was looking for um she has this phenomenal house with this already phenomenal kitchen that she wants to improve which we'll get to that in a second um with these like tailor-made blonde children three it's perfect really offensive kids. they weren't played by the gummers to be honest like yes. i will stand up for zoe kazan i like zoe kazan but like i will also challenge you that 
the largest problem with this movie, and it this goes back to like the what is inspiring Nancy thing. My largest problem is these children in this movie. I don't think they're in the movie enough to be a largest problem, but I hear what you're saying. It's very much like, and maybe this is a thing that she's working through too. Like it very much is like, they're all adults, but they're very much like, they're very childlike. Like, yeah, it's like that thing. Like you'll always be a child to me. Like, and it's like, no, they're truly children. There are a couple ways in which they behave. I feel like the script treats them in a couple of different ways. And I think that's a big part of the problem is that sometimes they behave like college age or older kids who don't really have time to spend with their mom. They were, they're going to go and do their own thing together and go out and have fun and whatever. And there's that, you know, contributes to the empty nester syndrome uh, that's happening with Meryl's character. But Jane is her name. I shouldn't call her by her name. Um, but also their reactions to everything that happens later in the movie feels very uh, childlike. I, I want to get to them in a second. And also the John Krasinski character, who I feel like is truly bizarre. Um, Crazy. But just to wrap up this whole, like, you know, fantasy version of a life is that she gets this wonderful life in this wonderful house in this wonderful kitchen. And not only that, but now she gets this little interlude where she can steal her husband back from the woman who took her from her, took him from her. And and then even then managed to discard him on her on her own terms. And I feel like there's a lot of fantasy element in that that doesn't necessarily make for super compelling even within the confines of a romantic comedy, super compelling drama, um, super compelling stakes. I think it's more compelling if you don't have the Steve Martin character. Because one yes. thing I will say yes. in discussing this movie, because I saw it around college time. I think it, I was wrapping up college when this movie came out or it was right after college. And like, it is very different, the perspectives that you get on this movie, whether or not you are a child of divorce. Oh, interesting. And uh, that's at least what I found. Um, and I think the dynamic of because the end of the movie, you know, is when the children discover they're, of course, heartbroken and confused by all of this. And the argument I remember getting in with a friend about was like, I didn't even think about that the whole movie until it happened. And it's like, no, that's the first thing I thought about when they start flirting that it's like, this is going to screw your already screwed up kids. Like, yeah, I feel like their reaction, their their reacting negatively, is a good thing. I think it it's it makes the movie it makes the movie interesting. Interesting, but the way that they react negatively, I think, is written so strangely, and I guess Childishly. also performed strangely, but not. Yeah, I don't feel like it. Like what Caitlin Fitzgerald has that line where she's just like, "We're still getting over the divorce," and it's like, first of all, you're the oldest; you shouldn't say that line. Somebody else should say that line. Second of all, you shouldn't say it that way. Like there are ways, in and to... they all like are cuddling each other in bed, like they're like still living in this house, and the divorce is going on. Which is like, maybe that makes sense if you're some, if you're like a histrionic Danish film or something, and yeah. like this is a drama. But, like, this is a lighthearted comedy, and you just make these people seem crazy. We expect Isabelle Huppert to have weird Oedipal relationships with her children on film, but, like, not 
not in this kind of context. Well, and it's like their react, their response is all homogenized. Like that's not how that would be. There would be the one child who's really, really pissed. The one who's really emotional. That's the other one level headed one. They all, they all behave sort of the same. Um, I want to get into Krasinski, I guess now, um, he plays the fiance, right? They're not married yet. They're planning their wedding. Yes. To Caitlin Fitzgerald's character, who is the oldest, he has sort of taken on a fourth sibling kind of role and seems very close with Meryl. But, like, I don't think I've come across a, a more strangely depicted character in a movie in quite a while. Every time I see it, I'm just like, who is strange. this odd person? At one point early on. When they're like, when Zoe Kazan is driving off and they're sort of, you know, saying goodbye to her. And he calls uh, Jane boss in a way that, like, in the movie, I guess it's just a term of endearment or whatever. Like, you know, let's go inside boss or something like that. And, but I wonder if there was an earlier version of this movie where he worked for her. Because I feel like if Mm. he works for her, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. And I wonder if even his character... Like, if you had told me that his character was a amalgam of the prospective son-in-law and her, like, busybody gay assistant that they wrote out of the movie, I would fully b- believe it. because Absolutely, because he's the one who discovers the yes. affair is happening and has yes. to hide it from his fiance, the eldest daughter. And it's this weird, like... Like, it's Nothing already ever kind becomes... of borderline slapstick. So, like, they're throwing in this additional element to just, like... I guess, further complicate the movie needlessly. Except and... she never finds out that he knew, ever, as far as we're concerned. And... She does towards it breaking down, because there's the whole no, scene No, 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 what where... I mean is, sorry, the daughter doesn't ever find out that her fiancé knew about this. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because, like, that's the conflict. That's what he, you know, he's keeping the secret. Like, there's no reason for that, for the son-in-law character to know about this like there really is none and it makes more sense that her you know somebody who's like her assistant knows and has to like sort of flit about and you know put out fires and whatever and i would be not at all surprised to find out that there was a separate character that they sort of like folded into the krasinski character made that a little bigger character cast that role a bit up and yet He's just involved with so many deeply, deeply strange scenes. And I think part of it is if the character is supposed to be sort of a wreck, kind of like, you know, we can't. Is he the emotionally stable one who they all sort of lean on as the man in the house? Or is he the person who's choking on his water because he sees, you know, Meryl and Alec Baldwin, Jane and Jake, sorry. Um, walk into the hotel unbeknownst to Caitlin Fitzgerald. Or, I, uh, it's also, also, as I mention every time I talk about this movie, the scene in the bathroom where they're smoking pot and Alec Baldwin shotgun smoke into his mouth is so out of outright left field. Bizarre. It's outright bizarre. It's also weirdly erotic in a way I don't really want to talk about and the fact that they both played J- uh, <laughs> they both play Jack Ryan in different versions of uh, Tom Clancy projects is also deeply strange to me it's I, I can't believe we don't have a gif of this moment I do Listeners don't worry no 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 no, no. don't worry I do it'll go up 
uh, it's taken care of. <laughs> I'm the Olivia Pope of uh, of Krasinski Baldwin. Uh, it's complicated gifts. It's handled. I got it. That's the job. That's um, the... <laughs> um, in many ways, yes, it is. Uh, so yes. there's my Krasinski spiel. I feel it's like it's the weirdest shot in the movie. It is fully bizarre. Like if you just like put a blue sheen over it and like just cut it out of the movie and shoved it anywhere in Avatar, it would it would crack. <laughs> like it would be fine. Yeah. But again, at the very least, that's fun and weird and lively. And I feel like it's like he exists, though, just to make the movie crazier. And yet doesn't make it more fun ever. No, he just seems like this weird straggler. Like he's you joke about phantom limbs. He's like a I don't. I don't yeah. know. He's like the weird hair growing out of a mole in this movie. Like, why are or, you, like... Or this movie ends up being the first act to a weirdly... Maybe we've just seen too many Jennifer Lopez battered spouse movies. But I'm like, if you found out later that he, like, murdered Caitlin Fitzgerald and, like, <laughs> hit her body or something, I wouldn't be fully shocked because I'm like, is this sort of like a Ted Bundy situation, like, in the works? I don't know. I don't understand it. But again, I will take lively and bizarre over whatever is happening with Meryl and Steve Martin in their romance, which is so minor key and dull. And I get in so a mad. way though, I appreciate that it's so minor key and dull because everything else is so nonsensical. It, it, I mean, I think a lot of that kind of falls on Steve Martin, though. Like, I just, I agree. Also, though, but I would, I would maybe expect. Those two characters, those two actors, to have better chemistry together. I don't know. I just it it bums me out that that I don't think cho- their chemistry chocolate... is bad. I just don't think they have anything to play. Yeah, that's probably fair. It bums me out that that chocolate croissant scene is wasted on that story. Love line. story. Because it's just it's a good idea. Like God, I will say for as much as Nancy Myers gets shit on for um, wealth porn, honestly, sometimes I just want to watch two you know, very likable people make some chocolate croissants in one of their, one of the characters' giant storefront kitchens. Like, That's sometimes... like perfectly stocked with baked goods, even though it's closed. Well, I mean, who, who among us would turn down the idea of a significant other walking us into their bakery that they own after hours and saying, look at the menu, I'll make you anything you want or off the menu. Especially if our significant other is Meryl Streep. Right. And it's kind of endearing that he, you know, with all the possibility in front of him, is just like, I would like a warm chocolate croissant. And it's like, honey, me too. Because in that way, she's giving us precisely what we want. That's the thing. Like, we can't complain. Like, we can make jokes about, like, this is the kitchen I've always wanted. Like, we can make jokes about it. And, like, how many pieces about Nancy Meyers' kitchens has this movie inspired? But it's like, yeah, we, we joke, but, like, we want this from anyone and she does it the best (laughs) listen if we can all be collectively enchanted by tom cruise making another movie where he jumps from helicopter to helicopter to prove that he's still alive inside that like rotting shell of a scientologist i will at the very least allow us to be enchanted by nancy myers giving us yet another tastefully appointed home in santa barbara although weirdly i guess all of the interiors were filmed in a studio in new york city um still uh, 
the fantasy Fine, is real. Sure. That's why her movies are so expensive. Her movies are so like expensive because like they seem like they're this like beautiful house like in on the hills of California next to a beach with like this like kitchen that's larger than your own home. Yeah. But like it's all shot in a studio. That they like had to like fully like create something. I also heard that they filmed some of the kitchen scenes in like Chelsea Market, which like yes, of course, they had course. to do that. But yeah, like this is yes, it's extravagant. Yes, it's gaudy so are half of our action movies if not all of our action movies so you know what this is my action movie this is my shootout this is my you know i love the marvel movies too but like this is my infinity war my infinity war is meryl streep's one kitchen going up against meryl streep's other kitchen to see which one survives up against her storefront kitchen yes yeah Yeah. uh to to your tom cruise analogy like Nancy Meyers' kitchens are way sexier than anything about Tom Cruise these days. For real. Oh, for real. Absolutely. But I also feel like the that sort of Nancy Meyers' extravagance factor, it's no, it's no accident that this became the tipping point of the Nancy Meyers' wealth porn issue, that it happened in, you know, 2009, a year removed from the big wall street crash and the great recession and all that. Like, right. We were maybe not in the best national mood for, you know, rich, it seemed a rich little white lady sort of luxuriating yeah. in her or, or rich white lady fretting about her rich white lady problems, which I do get it. Um, I guess if we're talking about the reasons that it didn't, succeed with oscar i think we talked about our dissatisfactions with the movie um there was nancy's wealth porn i also feel like just the julie and julia factor if you can put the two movies side by side because they're similar enough like nora efron nancy myers are not the same but like they are they work within similar ballparks that it's easy to compare the two Meryl being sort of food adjacent in it's complicated and, you know, food centric in Julie and Julia. Um, I just feel like there's a, a lot of ways to compare these two movies. And in almost every way, Julie and Julia comes out ahead, even to Especially the fact that like, like Oscar, because yeah. again, it's back to this like respectability thing. You can see why if you have these two movies head to head, it's Julie and Julia even if it's not, even if like the movies were on par with a quality type thing, how Julie and Julia would come ahead. Right. And I also feel like it's, I think because it's complicated, it's complicated is the movie that is very much made for Golden Globes because Golden Globes really goes out of its way to find ways to honor stars and star vehicles, right? Um, I think that's mm-hmm. a lot of what they end up doing in the musical or comedy category, which is very sort of star-friendly. Um, but it also means that because it's complicated is this kind of writer-director movie, writer-director-star movie, if if it misses out on the very top categories at the Oscars, there's no way for it to make up for it in the other categories, where you get a movie like Skyfall, Skyfall misses Best Picture, but there's so many other areas where it can get a nomination that Skyfall doesn't end up looking like a um, 
failure isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? Where it's just like, mm-hmm. you can at least look oh, at Skyfall absolutely. and just be like, oh, the Oscars really like Skyfall. Carol is kind of another example where Carol famously misses out on Best Picture and and causes a whole lot of uh, agitation ire. and ire with a lot of people. And yet, Carol got six nominations across a whole bunch of different categories because it managed to get not only just the acting, but like the you know the visuals were so sort of you know sumptuous and whatever and you're not really going to get that out of a Nancy Myers movie a Nancy Myers movie either succeeds on the basis of its script and its actors or it doesn't get anything and i think in the case of it's complicated it sort of you know it rolled up empty which is i think partly why we consider nancy in Nancy, we love Nancy. Um, in like, for you just lack of a better like word, Diane Keaton in her Golden Globes acceptance speech. <laughs> yeah, Nancy. Nan- <laughs> well, no. Why we consider her in a position, for lack of a better word, like an auteur? Because when you watch something like it's complicated, your perception of the movie falls completely on Nancy Myers, right? Yeah, yes. No, I think that's absolutely true. Also, all right. Before we move on to the awards that it did get, because I do want to get into that. Um, Let's talk about Lake Bell very quickly, who we haven't mentioned yet. She plays the wife of Alec Baldwin, who was also the woman that he cheated on Meryl with 10 years ago. So he's been with this woman for 10 years. I tweeted last night as I was watching this movie again that a remake of It's Complicated from the perspective of the Lake Bell character would be very interesting to me. Am I wrong? Absolutely not. That sounds fascinating. Because I feel like, just imagine this, like, this woman who, younger woman, has an affair with an older man, a regrettable affair with an older man, but she's also, that kid that she has isn't his kid, right? Like, that's her kid from a previous relationship. So she's the single mother, young single mother, has an affair with an older man, breaks up his marriage, which is bad. But, you know, marries this guy, at least partially, one imagines, for a sense of security. She's a single mother. And then ends up with this guy being emotionally distant from him. She's got this awful, shitty kid. And then the guy cheats on her with his original wife, who is wealthier than her and who has, like, all of these advantages over her. And her kids always hated you and don't, like, treat you very well. And... You show up to this, like, house party, and you're dancing with this weird architect, and all of a sudden you look over, and your husband and his first wife are, like, dancing to the Beach Boys together and look like a really cute couple. Like, that's heartbreaking to me a little bit. I know, like, I think she's a more complicated and interesting character. Yes. There's, like, almost all of these characters get kind of screwed over by this movie in that, like, they exist purely for whatever their function is. Yeah. Um, You do at least get this shot where she's responding to what she's seeing and you know you kind of consider her a little bit more than that's what made me tweet that because i'm like i yeah. saw that shot and i'm just like oh my god I, what is her story i want to and also the fact that like i love my lake favorite bell. things about the movie yeah. i love lake bell too and lake bell's interesting because it felt like this is before in a world happened but yeah. like in a world happened and we thought that she was going to explode and like she's still working a ton but she's i mean maybe yeah. not in things you've seen um in a World is a really good and interesting movie, and it deserved to have given her a bigger platform for her follow-up, is it's what I was so saying. so funny. Yeah. She's wonderful. Okay, so Justice she for... She doesn't get to be funny in this movie, though. No. Justice for Lake Bell, death to 
Meryl's kids and John Krasinski. Um, I will say, though, the movie you just described from Lake Bell's character's perspective, I desperately want Diablo Cody to write that movie yes. right now. Yes, thank you. Okay, perfect. That's the movie. That's the movie. That's it. That's what we want. Um, let's talk about, we talked about the Golden Globes uh, Which nominating we should say it. the Golden Globe nominations that this movie got. It did. We mentioned Meryl's nomination. We mentioned the best uh, picture comedy category, but Nancy was also nominated for best screenplay. For okay, this movie let's talk about that because the thing is, the Golden Globes nominate at minimum ten best pictures over the two categories. What twenty? lead actors and 20 supporting actors they don't do 20 supporting because um but anyway a shit ton of actors only five screenplay nominees like they don't even separate it between original and adapted so i feel like in many ways best screenplay is the most exclusive category at the golden globes it's maybe the hardest one to crack into and yet they it's nominated... harder to crack into than director because they're like director nominations. Oh, they'll nominate twelve way directors. Way more predictor, yeah. predictable than the Oscars. Yeah, no, it's true. But so you'll get into screenplay. Like getting a screenplay nomination from the Golden Globes really would make me think, like, oh shit, this is a real contender, and that it went to this movie is interesting and odd. Um, almost as odd as Alec Baldwin getting a BAFTA nomination for this movie like not entirely I feel like he was an outsider the whole time and i wonder i would maybe have to go back and read some analysis because i don't remember this being a factor but i wonder if it was in that he was hosting and might not have been as available to campaign um and like shake hands with people maybe because Although... i think alec baldwin is wonderful in this movie yeah I would say yeah. yes. Better than a good portion of the nominated performances. But this is also the year of Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards that was just so far in front yeah. of everyone else that it's like it kind of just fell to some boring people. But like nominate Alec Baldwin and it's complicated over Stanley Tucci in uh, The Lovely Bones. Nominate him over Matt Damon in Invictus, the yeah. performance nobody ever remembers Very that he's true. nominated for. Isn't it so infuriating that Stanley Tucci got nominated for The Lovely Bones in the same year that he was in Julie and Julia? Where he's just perfect he's in that movie. He's so fucking good in that movie. It's honestly infuriating. I and hate... does so much for Meryl's performance, too. I mean, like, her performance is formidable on its own, but, like, yeah. she gave, like, she like them working together she just like gushed about him and it's just like that's truly what a supporting performance can do is help bolster an already great lead performance right the other thing about alec baldwin is nobody remembers that he was nominated for the cooler and it's like this would have been a way better nomination than when he was nominated for the cooler a movie i really don't remember other than all the like weird out of place explicit sex stuff in that movie yeah alec baldwin in the cooler is one of the more forgettable oscar nominations of the pa- of the past 15 years or so um he also would have been a better nominee in still alice justice for the supporting cast of still alice and the screenplay for still alice absolutely so before we get to what we're all here for which is aarp movies for grown-ups awards talk um i also want to mention that this movie won a bunch from the alliance of women film journalists which uh, for Meryl won for actress defying age and ageism, 
for this movie, Julie and Julia, and interesting enough, Fantastic Mr. Fox, great statement against ageism in Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, best depiction of nudity, sexuality, or seduction, Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin, tied with Carrie Mulligan and Peter Sarsgaard for an education, which, okay, um... <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Well, an education that I understand like that win because like it's the type of relationship that we see in movies all the time where it's an older man deceiving a younger woman into a sexual relationship. But that movie at least calls it for what it is for the full broad spectrum of what it is. That's and, like, true. All of the nuances of why it's awful. What no. Peter Sarsgaard does. Yeah, that movie. For as much as I. I never think about that movie at all. It's so strange. I liked it, I guess. But... I never think about the things other than Carrie Mulligan that people seem to like about that movie. Like, people are always struck by Rosamund Pike in that movie, yeah. who I love, but I... Do you know what movie fine. those two movies beat out for best depiction of nudity, sexuality, or seduction? Bright Star? Uh, Bright Star with Abby Cornish and Ben Wishaw, which, fine, no nudity. PG. But, like, it's so... Like, swoon-worthy. Like, oh my god, my, like, it's my go-to when I talk about, like, movies that made me fall in love with the characters. Those two in that movie, and the cinematography, honestly, is so goddamn gorgeous. It's, ugh, I don't know. What was the other one? Um, that was it. It was just those three, at least as listed. Um, oh, okay. As listed by uh, Alliance for Women Film Journalists. So Meryl also... You know, we didn't bring up, like, the sex in this movie because we also didn't mention... This movie is rated R for basically pot smoking and Alec Baldwin, like, they talk about semen and, like, he talks (laughs) about her vagina. But, like, it is is fully strange that, like, this is an R-rated movie. Let's talk about the AARP Awards, which have genuinely become... One of my favorite things to talk about now. I feel like... Same. I need to do some more research because, like, I'm genuinely, like, I need to find out if they have a jingle or something that I can sing every time <laughs> you bring it up because it's just, like, you imagine they do. Like, I mean... You know, like, I th- I hear AARP and I think of, like, my interstitial, like, Hulu commercials, right? So it's, like, they have to have, like... Some so type of jingle for them. You mentioned the Golden Globe comedy comedy nominees that year, which included Garbage Like Nine and The Hangover. Listen to the best comedy nominees from the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards that year. Winner was It's Complicated, which is kind of funny. Um, other nominees, though, In the Loop, great movie. The Informant, great movie. great movie. Away We Go, divisive movie, but I say it's a great movie. And we both love that movie. Okay, good. I don't love The Informant. Okay, I'm fine with that. Um, and then Pirate Radio, the forgotten Richard Curtis movie, which honestly, if that's going to be your stretch, like I'm totally fine with that. Also, I want to mention their Best Director nominees. So this was the year that Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron were like neck and neck um, at the Oscars. And was Catherine Bigelow going to become the first woman to win Best Director at the Oscars? She wins the AARP Award, a crucial precursor to the Oscars. Um, six nominees in this category this year. Three women, Catherine Bigelow, Nancy Myers for It's Complicated, and Nora Ephron for Julie and Julia. Applause for all of those. Two gay men, Rob Marshall for Nine, Garbage Movie, but you know what? Representation matters. And Lee Daniels for Precious. 
And then, like, they just threw in Clint Eastwood because he's old. Like, honestly, fine, whatever. Um, but, like... God, people forget about Invictus, and it's like... As they should. the better. Like, not all of those nominations are, you know, fully deserved, but, like, your Oscars... It's a little Looney Tunes. But, like, like your Oscars could never, honestly, on, on some truly. level. Like, three women, two gay men, and Clint Eastwood walked into a bar, and, you know, the AARP Awards emerged also best grown-up love story this is this is the last one i'll mention and then i'll let you talk um best grown-up love story includes it's complicated meryl streep alec baldwin the rightful winner which did win meryl streep and stanley tucci and julie and julia gorgeous other nominees though taking woodstock for the imelda staunton henry goodman love story sure absolutely they own a bed and breakfast the Last Station, Helen Mirren, Christopher Plummer, both Oscar nominees, whatever. And then Whip It, Marcia Gay Harden, Daniel Stern, which wouldn't be the first thing that jumps out of that movie for me, but anything that no- that honors Whip It. Nominates Whip It. We're, we are cool with any love for Whip It. I okay, love so you, This AARP is the perfect Awards. time for me to speak then, because like I was going through this year's AARP movie for Grown Up Awards, and I was like, these are fully the only people that saw Taking Woodstock and liked it. Because they <laughs> nominated it several times. I liked Taking Woodstock, I have to say. Oy. I do, I find it charming. I mean, maybe I'll watch it again at some point when I've exhausted all other opportunities. Jonathan Groff um, comes onto the screen riding atop a horse at one point, and he just looks so beautiful. Anyway. Um, so uh, we've we've gone on about how the AARP Movies for War Grown Ups Awards have sometimes been, like, uni tunes but um they were on to the right path in that they also awarded alec baldwin best supporting actor yeah it's like you can't fuck with him sometimes like honestly does he does he beat among others john travolta for the taking of pelham one two three sure yeah these nominees are a little a little crazy you have christopher Plummer for the last station who was also oscar nominated alfred molina for an education plays the father sure correct? yeah yeah where it's like sure yeah. he was in the conversation for like a little bit I they guess. obviously like an education john travolta for the taking of pelham one two three as you mentioned which i think like all of that just fully like that nomination goes to the goatee because like that's <laughs> where the performance is yeah and then eugene levy for taking woodstock I'd like to think Eugene Levy actually showed up to the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. Be like, well, they, uh, sure, I'll show up if you nominated me. Like, how nice. That hopefully made his day. I had to look up who he played in Taking Woodstock because even me, somebody who likes Taking Woodstock, forgot that he played uh, Max Yasger in that movie, the owner of the farm that they have Woodstock on. Um, also, shout out to the supporting actress nominees that year, which included Marsha Gay Harden for Whip It, as we mentioned. Anything that gives Whippet some love we enjoyed. And Susan Sarandon for The Lovely Bones, which I don't know if that was a good performance or not, but it gave me my favorite line from a trailer ever, which was when she just yells, uh, you have a tomb in the middle of your house to uh, <laughs> to Mark Wahlberg, who, and she delivers it with such force and gravitas. It was my ringtone for a while. Um, was just, it, honest to God was, just Susan Sarandon going, you have a tomb in the middle of your house. My father had the pieces, but he couldn't make them fit. You have a tomb in the middle of your house. It's 
wonderful. Thank God somebody gave her and that performance the love it deserved. It's weird that Invictus won it won the best picture from AARP that year. I will say maybe maybe not so much with that. But you brought up that supporting actress category and like I love any of these like ancillary awards in the Oscar season that like just fully don't even go anywhere close to the Oscar nominees because you mentioned Susan Sarandon in Lovely Bones, Marsha Gay Harden in Whip It. It's also Judy Dench in Nine. Yeah. Kim Basinger, the winner for The Burning Plane. Remember? Which introduced the world to Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. And yeah. because they were going there, Imelda Staunton in Taking Woodstock. Who I remember people being like, she's offensive in that movie. She's offensive to Jewish people in that movie. And I maybe can't deny that. Um, I, like I the- maybe can't remember that. I like that Judy Dench got a nomination merely for saying lie for Italia to... Uh, <laughs> Class liar, darling. Go out there and lie for Italy. Lie for Italia. To Daniel Day Lewis, one of my other favorite trailer lines. That was a good year for good trailer lines, I guess. Um, we love you. We love you, AARP out. Movies for Grown Ups Awards. If you wanted to invite us to your ceremony this year, we would happily go. Oh, absolutely. What else do we have to say about it's complicated? Um, I, I mean. I don't know. I I will say, like, the thing that keeps coming to my mind that I'm like, I'm dancing around it, but I know some listeners are going to think about it, is like, Alec Baldwin literally grabs Meryl Streep by the pussy in this movie. He does. I hate that. I hate that moment. I hate it. Like, I hated it at the time when we didn't have the horrible context Yeah. God, I didn't even think about that. Now Now I I hate, well, sorry I brought it up then, but I know some (laughs) listeners are probably going to be thinking about it, but like. And maybe that's why the movie got an R rating because he like full on is like hand over vagina. Yeah, maybe clothed vagina. But like, yeah. I mean, again, I think that this is a much more complex movie if you are watching it as a child of divorce. I think the legacy that this movie has for how we consider Nancy Myers is pretty formidable, even though it's maybe not the most, like, remember... Like, it's not even maybe the top three Nancy Myers movies when you, like, talk about Nancy Myers for people. Yeah. Or at least maybe in my circles, because it's, like... To me, it's... Even The Intern surpasses this for people. In quality... because it's the most recent. In quality, yes, but I feel like in terms of when I think of Nancy Myers as a brand... This is maybe the first movie that comes up. This is definitive. Yes. For better or for worse. Also, I just looked it up. The R rating was for some drug content and sexuality. And it reminded me that I had read somewhere that the drug content got the Oscar or got the got the Oscar. Jesus. Got the R rating because it showed people smoking pot without suffering consequences, which is such a haze code style like you bullshit. know, nanny state kind of bullshit where it's just like, Jesus Christ, we're still going through this that like, you know, well, and I mean, like I would maybe understand, I would understand it more if it's not, they didn't have consequences, but it's like, it's a full long sequence in the movie. It's not just like they hit a joint and then they're laughing about it later. Right. Like 
it's pot humor for like 15, 20 minutes. Of the but movie. I love the idea that like, oh no, all of the teens who go to see It's Complicated are going to be like scandalized. Like Meryl Streep is corrupting our youth. Like, holy crap. Can we please just have some sort of realism here? Anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. complicated. I don't think it's good. I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's that terrible. I think it's a very watchable movie at the very least. It's so strange. Um, but I will some... say, re-watching it for this, I liked it a, like a substantial amount more than I first did. That's good. Because I, I really outright hated it the first time I saw it. I will say, I will admit, I love a good kitchen. I, I will not apologize for it. So, uh, that's... Let that be the last word on this on this movie as it should be. Do you want to play some IMDb game? Absolutely. All right. Why don't we explain you 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 this time explain to okay. So listeners. the IMDb game we play this every episode. It is also known as known for what the object of the game is is to guess the top four movies that IMDb lists any performer or creative is most known for. Um, we are attempting to guess it. We will get two guesses before we start giving each other hints like what year it was in or any like type of plot details about it. We also have the caveat of we will mention if there is voiceover work or any television work. We try to avoid people who are part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it always goes straight to the top. Ditto Harry Potter. Um, Ditto Harry Potter. Yes. So why don't I give to you first? Okay. I have chosen, we talked a little bit earlier about Nancy Myers and having her breakthrough with Private Benjamin in the early 80s, and the star of that movie, an Oscar nominee, was Goldie Hawn, so why don't you give me Goldie Hawn's four known four movies? My mom's favorite actress, I hope mom's listening. Oh. Um, okay, so Goldie Hawn, First Wives Club. Yes. A massive hit that never got a sequel. Why? That is a perfect movie hollywood um, hates also, money all of a sudden that's what's happening you just don't like movie stop like making money um death becomes her yes i have to correct. say it one of my favorite movies of all time death love it her. it's love on there it. yep okay private benjamin no one strike okay not um another thing about this game is that oscar does not always help so i'm not going to guess crack this flower which she got her oscar for um overboard overboard yes correct Dang. People love Overboard. Um, okay, so I still one left. Only have one. one left, the most challenging one, and yet... I, I so desperately, desperately want to say Bird on a Wire. Bird on a Wire. Incorrect. Um, so now you get the year, because you've gotten two wrong guesses. The year is 1996, the same year as First Wives oh, Club. Damn, see, I would have said... <clears throat> I was going to guess Snatched next, because it just came out. 1996, First Wives Club. Was that the year the Out of Towners happened? Is it the Out of Towners with Steve Martin? It is not the Out of Towners with Steve Martin. Um, all right, now I'm just going to help you out with hints, because you've topped out. I've gotten my three. You got your three. Okay, Um, star-studded movie. Uh, if I'm looking at the poster, it lists... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve actors on the poster. Okay. It's the same year as First Wives Club. Yep. Uh, it stars. How many Oscar winners? Is it Everyone Says I Love You? It's Everyone Says I Love You. It is. Well done. Oy. Yeah. 
The thing about the Goldie Hawn, Goldie musical. Hawn has done less movies than we remember her as doing. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I think that's probably right. And of course, the fact that she... Particularly in the 90s. Well, yes. Actually, let's see. Goldie Hawn in the 90s. Let's look at... You know, you're absolutely right. Holy crap. Because so, a lot of, like, Goldie Hawn's, like, heyday was the 80s post-Private Benjamin because you have, like, the football movie. You have a bunch of, like, crap that yeah. we forgot. Well, she... So, but between 1990 and 1992, she, she makes five movies. So it's Bird on a Wire, Deceived, Criss Cross, House Sitter, which I will stand up for. <gasps> I really like House Sitter. I should have guessed House Sitter. I love House Sitter. Another movie where Steve Martin plays an architect, I will say much more compellingly than he does in... Uh, it's complicated. And then Death Becomes Her. And then after 1992, she only has three more movies in the 90s, all three of which you mentioned. First Wives Club, Everyone Says I Love You, and The Out of Towners. And then after that, it's Town and Country, which is a disaster, which we maybe should talk about on this podcast. Disaster. Um, if it's available anywhere, I would be surprised. I saw it. Some- <clears throat> At one point, it was streaming okay. somewhere. Um, and then The Banger Sisters, which was famously her last movie before snatched um which i believe she got a golden globe nomination for because she did. we go out we stand queens who go out on a high note um um i love goldie hunt i have to say because we brought up house sitter like one of my favorite cutaway like my favorite stupid cutaways in all of cinema there's a moment in house sitter that cuts to her in like a jazzercise class <laughs> fully going wild and it is just like 10 15 seconds of utter insane bliss so 1992 is a great year for many reasons but the fact that it gave us goldie hahn in both this and death becomes her meryl and death becomes her whoopi goldberg in sister act um i'm trying to think of there's like one more like great 1992 like comedic performance and like uh, it just kills me that we used to get movies just pure comedy vehicles starring women that I feel like we don't get enough of these days. I don't know. Maybe I'm forced for the trees and we still get, you know, Amy Schumer and, and Anna Ferris doing Overboard Remake and and Melissa McCarthy. But, like, I don't know. I feel like we... Those are, like, still built around, like, kind of known... Like you said, the Overboard Remake. Like, it's kind of a known property. Yeah. I just want more house sitters and more sister acts. That's all I want. <laughs> That's all I want. Okay, so wait. So we, who do you have for me? Okay, so I mentioned that this movie kind of just, like, screws over a couple characters and, like, shoves them to the side. We also mentioned the Yahtzee of Meryl's friends. Yes. I did the top of the heap of Meryl's friends, at least the one who gets the most dialogue. We are talking about Mary Kay Place. Oh, my God. Okay. Just, I love to torture Joseph on this and go really difficult. Character actors are so hard. They're in so many things. And what is their most popular? Okay, so The Big Chill. Yes, The Big Chill. Thank God. Okay. Um, it's complicated? No. Okay. All right. Mary Kay Place. All right. I'm just going to guess this. This might also have been a 1992 movie. Um because I saw this in the theater, and it was the first thing I remember seeing Mary Kay Place in. Captain Ron? No, but God bless Captain Ron. Okay, yeah. so you have your two yeah. um, guesses. I'm going to give you years. Okay. Two movies, both in the Oscar conversation of 1999. Being John Malkovich. And another one from... Being John Malkovich, yes. Yeah. That, that would have been my first. next guess. Um, okay. And also the next is 2009. So another from... 
2009 that isn't it's complicated and another from 1999 that isn't being John Malkovich. Huh. All right. 1999 in the Oscar conversation, but not necessarily Oscar nominated. Uh, it is in the Oscar conversation. It won an Oscar. Ooh. Okay. For its only nomination. For its only We have mentioned nomination. it on this podcast. Well, we've talked about 1999, but we are both fans of this movie. Ooh. We both probably would have nominated its lead performance an adaptation all uh, right of a memoir of a memoir 1999 uh, why am i fixated on man on the moon it's not man on the moon um, i could give you a really big hint what's the really big I hint won't. you are about to go see this movie this week I'm about to go. Oh my god! Um, to celebrate Joseph Reed's impending she birthday, she's girl. She's in Girl Interrupted. Absolutely, Girl Interrupted. You're totally right. Um, 2009. Okay. Um, this stars a young comedic actor who was like really hot for a minute and then kind of fell away to like back into like the deep indie set. Um, I know he is going to be in the remake of Gloria, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast. It's directed by um, Miguel Arteta, one of my like director curiosities. Also did my beloved Beatriz at dinner. Yeah, he did. Um... It's a. It is also an adaptation, a graphic novel adaptation, I believe. Maybe it's just a regular novel. She plays the mother. Of the love interest. Is it Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist? It is not, but you are on to the right actor. Probably forgot about this movie. Oh, um, is it like Youth and Revolt or something like that? It is Youth and Revolt. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, why is that on anybody's known for? That's insane. I've never seen Youth and Revolt. Mary Kay Place, who's been in like a million things. Yes. And has done a ton of television. Yeah, just, Justice for My So-Called like, Life. She's so good in My So-Called Life. Holy God. Uh, justice for, like, Big Love. Yeah. Yes, Justice for Big Love. Which She's was phenomenal like a, in that. Yeah. I wonder what sick. the algorithm does to people who've, like, been on a lot of TV shows, but they only do, like, one episode. Because she's guested on, like, some of the most popular shows on television. Uh, yeah, she's for, on like, The West Wing as the Surgeon General. Like, get it together. All right. Well done, well chosen, cruel, cruel IMDb gamer as you are. I'm going to have to start. I love that I give you, like, Goldie Hawn, and you're like, yeah, bitch, get married. And I'm like, I've seen the whole oeuvre. (laughs) Oh, Um, my my mom's favorite actor who's only made, actually, 20 movies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. No, it's just fun. And, like, also, it's fun to talk about Mary Kay Place. We like her. Yeah, she's great. Oh, my God, Mary Kay Place, come be on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What if she listened and was just like, guys, I'm in. Um, We love you. All right. So that is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? I am on Twitter at Chris V file. That's F E I L. You can also find me at the film experience writing about soundtracks and Oscar ephemera and et cetera. Other movie things. I am of course on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R E I D. I am also to be found every day uh, at decider.com 
talking about movies and television and everything that is on streaming. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever wherever else you get podcasts. The five-star review really helps us out with iTunes visibility, so blow some love our way like your Alec Baldwin shotgunning us like the young, willing John Krasinski's that we are. Weird gays who love the cell, we continue to want to hear from you. Weird gays who love the cell, we're going to make this happen. I don't know what we're going to make happen, but we're going to make something happen. Weird uh, gays who love the cell should also tell us their favorite AARP movie for grown-ups winner. Thank you. Oh my god, put it in an iTunes review. We want to hear it. Yes. We have not forgotten you. That is all for this week, but we hope you will be back next week with us for more Bugs. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's no lie. That's no lie.